coming up on Art Palace. We learned about the the degenerate art and how interesting that was because out of all of the art here, I would say probably that these are the most interesting pieces. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool people are Brad, Justin, and the Cinemaiden from the Cinema Guys podcast. The Cinema Guys are hosting a screening of the film The Monuments Men on August 28th at the Esquire Theater, so I sat down to chat with them and also take a look at our special exhibition, Paintings, Politics, and The Monuments Men. Hey, I'm Brad. <laughs> I'm Justin. And I'm a Cinemaiden. So how did you guys get started? Like, uh, how did this all happen Ooh, for question. you? Well, it, it started, Justin and I, we used to go to the movies every Thursday night. Mm-hmm. We would go see whatever new movie was coming out for that week. It really it, didn't matter what it was. Yeah, it was we would on. just go. And Fast and Furious 7, we're in. <laughs> yeah. We would we would sit in the parking lot for like good at least, what, half hour or more just chatting about the movie and what we yeah. thought. Yeah, it, it came to that point, and we're like, I always love. I always thought podcasting was cool, even though I never listened to them until and I look started at us one. Now, not cool. <laughs> really, that's so funny. Yeah. Like I thought they were cool, but I mean, I, yeah, I wasn't going to listen to them. I never listened to one until like I feel like podcasting the and since we started has even like tripled in popularity. Like there oh, were big ones totally like has. the Moth and everything, and yeah. we were around then. And there was other ones, but like it wasn't like every celebrity had a podcast and that was really good. Yeah, yeah. you had to really oh, yeah. search for they're the like good a ones. dime a dozen now. Yeah. Like yeah. we started in 2016. Yeah, I I told Justin like, we should make it a long? podcast. Five years, dude. Five Jeez. years. Five and years, and we're still in the same spot. We started out. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. I have movie cred since then. This podcast has escalated my career. Touche. It actually has. I've been in a movie, yes. Uh, We we started out just one little mic. We started at the Red Tree Coffee Shop. Our first episode was Star Trek Beyond. Terrible episode. Oh, my gosh. That that is. And it was really bad. We actually... (laughs) We had things written down, like yeah. You look, and we had to read the paragraph, which nerds. is horrible for me, and I never did. I was like, oh, I don't know, and, uh, and like we used to do fake ads too, yep, for like did. Red Tree, the coffee shop that I owned, and things and then, like that. After after well, the if first... you owned it, it doesn't sound fake. Then it sounds like a real <laughs> yeah, ad. Like, you know, there was no one listening to it. Yeah, yeah. Was like, it was the first episode. Yeah, only the people that listen to like, Come Red on Tree. in for free coffee, and it nobody matter, would. No nobody would. would yeah. Ever. After that, we brought in our friend Michael. So we could have was he three. The first? Yeah, he was the first. Yeah. And he was on for what a good fifth, 10, 15 episodes. Yeah, maybe? because when it was just the two of us, there was something off about it. It was I flat. mean it was it was good. It, it was fine. Like Michael was very good with the like facts behind it. Yeah. The but then when like when that, we added but... the third, that's when I felt like, oh, there's a dynamic of yeah. three that's way better yeah. than just two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was different enough to be like he was yeah, he knew like I knew a little bit, but he knew like every director, yeah. whoever directed everything, and real obscure like trivia. Mm-hmm. I was like, Ooh, that's kind of fun. And yeah. he had to, um, he had he had to step away and couldn't do it anymore. And we asked, we yeah. had a series of randos. Yeah, we would yes. roll through, and we had the cinema, and she came in for a guest appearance one time. I'm like, oh, just come, come on. It was, it was Resident Evil was her. 
first episode. The worst. Yeah, but the but there, something clicked that day yeah. where I was like, this was actually good. Mm-hmm. Like this was actually something I would probably listen to because it was just a fun dynamic. Mm. You, 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 We're you, three. Glue. Justin and I are more alike, and Brad's very different. And I think it's usually what we like is that we pick right. on Brad. Well, then that became that slowly developed because a person I know that listens a lot was like, oh, I noticed when you guys. It was Brad's the straight man who has all the info <laughs> yes. on what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And we gang up and pick on him <laughs> and just make things up. And he has all the, well, actually, not really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Like, who directed this again? Happen, yeah. Okay, great. Who did that again? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, I don't have to. Yeah. And, it, and I did petition when I joined to have it changed to the cinema gang. Or cinema, uh, or cinema, cinema, cinema friends. I, I was curious about that, how you felt about being, you know, I've like lots of debate on these I've there was. petitioned for a, a long time to have it changed because I'm not a guy. But. Yeah. Right. No, I, I thought the same thing. So, but I always argued the point of, like, you're just one of the guys. We already have an audience. Like, yeah. And we already have an audience yeah. that knows this is a cinema guy. So what if we change? Yeah. No, I don't so know. That was oh, the our general 50 consensus. listeners will have no idea how to find us. <laughs> that was the general consensus, even with some of the listeners. Like, oh, well, it's already the guys. I guess you should keep yeah. that. Let me guess. The the listeners are mostly guys. Yes, shocking, right? Yeah. Mm. What a what a surprise! I like having an ally here. What a surprise! This is what nice. a surprise that they they think that way. Huh? Yeah. yeah, this is nice having an ally on the outside. Looking no, I'm, in. Um, I'm firmly on your side about the name change. They should. I'm uh, you know I'm Enneagram nine. I would have gone with whatever everyone else likes. I'm so. Enneagram eight. I will definitely fight till the yeah, end. I'll take the eight side. <laughs> and I'll I'll, eight I'm side. all about the fame and glory. So. Yeah, we yeah, know, yeah. Brad. <laughs> But guys, all my friends but on we, Twitter know it's a cinema guy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, oh God, his Twitter friends. But when, when she when she came in, like Justin said, like it just there was something there that worked, mm. that clicked. So we we asked her to come back and come back, and I think it just happened like it started like every week. We're like, ah, oh, the cinema maiden's coming back. Mm. She's just part of the show now. Like, yeah, yeah. And then we had a couple other guests. Cinema and Toast Crunch. Toast Crunch. <laughs> After that, you, if you came on, you had to have some sort of cinema pun to yes. your name. I think that's the only one, though. <laughs> that's the only yeah. one. That's the only one. There wasn't any others, right? We had a bunch that was one <laughs> guy. Bunch, there was one. That was Cinema and Toast Crunch. That was funny, though. I like that one. I totally get, though, like having, like, as being the only host, like, I, one of the things I can't take i i'm really bad at listening to podcasts where there's only one voice same i can't yeah. do it i've same. tried multiple times and i like start and i'm like nope turn it off like yeah. i have to have at least two voices so there is something i think and in recording you know often with just one other person there is like some dead air that comes up and and so i think when you have three people that other person is that third person is mo- more likely to to probably pop in at that point and help things keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then one other evolution we had was we got to start doing a bunch of live events. Yes. Which yeah, was that cool. was fun. That was a big, wow, this is a little cooler than just the three of us doing something yeah. fun that we like. I like when I said it was fun. I hate it. But uh, she yeah, hates she it. Really it. Hate but it. I, it was like we, you know, the Esquire at the time, like they would let us do anything because yeah, they yeah. really our liked first, it. They were like, hey, you want to do it? Sure. And so we had some... Our first one thing? started with uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and was that our was first showing. They get, it was and like it was almost sold people. out. It was almost sure. 200 people. Yeah. yeah. And we were like, whoa, Let's this do is... It again. But it was The Thing, not us. Yeah, it was. Because our next one... <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, well, yeah, it's like, a thing. People were more annoyed that they I actually heard people online be like, oh, there's a thing going on here. Like, there's people... <laughs> do we have to... Yeah. Are they going to talk? I can think people kept thinking we were like mystery science theater they're gonna like chat through this whole uh, thing oh my gosh uh, yeah. but do you remember the person in the theater 
I like made one comment to Brad and they were like, I thought this was a silent movie. Yeah. yeah. They yelled at me for saying something well, to Brad during the, the hardcore during the like nerds. credits. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, relaxed. But our, our relationship with the Esquire, we've done quite a few. There were a few where, you know, we only got like Ooh, we three people. Uh, <laughs> we did, we thought Major League. Oh, yes. Right when the Reds, I don't know, right, were doing right, their opening thing. Right, right, right. My face is like. <laughs> no, I, but I thought like, so right my thought was like, day. oh, even if you don't care about sports, which I don't know. But I was like, oh, it's kind of festive. And it's Major League. I love yeah. Major League. It's a great. I but, bet a league of their own would have gone over better. Yeah, we didn't yeah, get too many for that one. But then we we <laughs> were like we should have done. <laughs> we had some fun events with. We got Greg Sestero from the Room Fame yeah, yeah, yeah. to come to Cincinnati for I was in two his movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Tell me all the, about that. I was the production artist for his film. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, we uh, Brad made a contact with him. Yeah, we watched his at the time his uh, film called Best Friends Volume One came out, mm-hmm. and it had Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero, and we're like, okay, we're fans of the Room. Let's check this movie out. And after I watch it, I'm like, I'm going to try to see if I can get Tommy Wiseau on our podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> I found a contact and emailed and I got an email back and said, well, Tommy is not available for interviews, but Greg is. And oh. I was like, sweet. Sure. I'll talk to Greg. So talk to Greg. And I was like, I would love to get you to Cincinnati for an event. And I don't even know how it happened. It just eventually we got him into contact with the Esquire Got him to come out here to screen Best Friends Volume One and Volume Two. It's it's split into two parts, but mm-hmm. he came out both times. And Justin did some artwork for yeah. the first screening. For, made like a little faux poster for it for him. Okay. And, yeah, and then we hit him off. I had him over <laughs> my house for dinner. Um, you went out there yeah, to the, actually be in the movie. Yeah, too. and we played a lot of ping pong. The second um, time he came out, he hung out at Justin's house, yeah. played video games and ping pong. Yeah, and it was cool. Uh, and then we ended up just kind of becoming friends. Uh, and he one day was like, hey, um, would you want to do a poster for this new movie I'm doing? And he sent me the script of the movie, and I read through the script, and I was like, oh, man, there's a lot of like small you know, wanted posters or this little painting of an eagle that's important to the film. Like, Someone's going to need to do that. I was like, hey, I can actually do all this artwork if you want me to. And he was like, yeah. And so then I got cre- I have my first IMDb credit as a production artist for his film. And so I did a bunch of art. And then one day he called like on a Sunday and was like, hey, uh, can I fly you out here this week to be on set for a couple of days? And I was like, yeah. And I go, can my wife come too? And he's <laughs> like, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And so on Tuesday of that week, we flew out and hung out on set for like three days. And uh, I thought I was going to do, I, I came prepared to do a lot more art, but everything was already done. He had printed out all my stuff and it was all there. I was like, no, oh, so we were just hanging. Yeah. So we just jumped in and started doing, we got to monitor the director's, you know, monitor and pick out inconsistencies. And, oh, cool. You know, little things. It was fun. It was really cool. That movie is, I think I can say now because there's an official, yeah. it's Miracle Valley. Uh, it was supposed to come out last October, but I think it's officially hitting a horror con. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it's released. Salem is. Horror Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're playing it there. And uh, this is news for you guys. You don't even know. He texted me this week and wants to do it at the Esquire, a big premiere of it also. Oh, that's fun. So awesome. I got to get a hold of them and see if they can I do can, that. Anyways, I, can, I can get there you go. New news for us and for you. I know. I and for say, all your listeners. For yeah. when Miracle Valley comes out, Justin did the artwork. If yeah. you watch it, the cinematic oh, yes. and I are on one missing Missing person Because I just use friends. To just throw in all these different ones because he's supposed to go to this <laughs> abandoned thing where you see all these papers everywhere. Yeah, you can yeah, look yeah. real close. 
Although you're on, you know, it's a podcast. I don't know what we look like, but we're but in it. His theory was for this movie. Like, yeah, I know like the room obviously was horrible and he wrote the book about it and best friends volume one and two. I think people would say is low grade. Um, did you see them? No, yeah. no. Um, it's Tommy Wiseau. And so it, they're interesting. So I got to this thinking, oh, it's going to be like, you know, a couple dudes with a camera. And yeah. it was like huge. Just like 30 people sets. There yeah. was like, he got the nice equipment. And so his theory is, hey, I have a lot of eyes on me right now for like, oh, let's watch, see if Tommy shows up. He's like, what if I made something good? Hmm. Like, uh, and so I think this is. Um, and the preview actually looked like it would be yeah, decent. The, it looks yeah. like it'll Teaser be good. Trailer I'm, I'm really. Good. Oh, and me and my wife are extras in like a couple of scenes, like like you know we're drinking a beer in the background. Yeah. And, um, but the, I'm interested to see how much it changed because it's gone through a lot of editing mm. from the script I originally read. The original script it, was good, so yeah, I am to curious. what it actually is because like yeah, what the trailer I was like this looks really good. <laughs> uh, anyways, so uh, so uh, I'm gonna jump way ahead then how did you guys get how did you guys get connected with us <laughs> how did that Good happen uh, that's all brad jill uh emailed us oh, okay and contacted us and said she heard the podcast. The show, right? yeah she listened to the podcast okay. and thought we'd be a, a good fit of come out here and, and talk monuments men and come see the exhibit and I was like, well, oh, we could do a screening and this. And, and that helped. Well, we were mentioned in Cincinnati Magazine's top five podcasts in local the city. Podcast, yeah. Local podcasts. Okay. Yes. And I think that like upped some listenership. Which yeah, because if you search, like Google search for us, that mm. that's one of the top things that comes up. Oh, so I've I never think Google people, searched us. That's people, a fun thing. Oh God, you've people never Googled us? No, no, you Google us? <laughs> yeah. Why? Just randomly. Just people ask what, what we are. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I've never done it. I told someone I did a podcast and they're like, well, will you come up on Google? And I was like, yeah. And then I double checked myself. I'm sure at some point on one of the pages. Yeah, maybe on page ten you'll get to us. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, that's the same w- way we got in with the Esquire. Was the manager of the Esquire listened mm-hmm. to the show and he emailed and said, "Hey, it'd be kind of cool. We could do like passes." And I go, "What if we? Can you guys do screenings or anything like that?" And yeah, that's kind of how it happened. We've. I mean, we've done some horror movies. I'm a horror movie guy, so I always mm. want to do like horror movie screenings, yeah. and they're always like. Horror. Horror, not horror. Horror, yes. Horror. Those are different kinds oh. of movies. Yeah. You need to add the extra R at the end. <laughs> so, I mean, one big one we had was Candy Corn with oh, uh, yeah. oh, the director, Josh Hasty, was from Cincinnati. Okay. And he came back for a screening of his film here. And he said it was kind of bittersweet to be able to, like, come back. And he mm. was like, I went to the Esquire when I was younger and yeah. was able to screen my movie. I didn't meet him, did I? I was out of town, I think. Uh, I was in Korea. What took you to Korea? Ooh, I had a quarter life crisis and I decided to quit my career and move to Korea and teach English for a year. Oh, yeah, fun. and she sold During like everything, liquidated everything. I liquidated awesome. everything. I sold cool. most of my stuff. I was, moved out of I my apartment, excited. sold my car, moved to Korea. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Before you didn't know a pandemic was coming. I didn't know a pan- obviously. No one did. <laughs> but I moved to the September of 2019. And so I was there for like three or four months before Korea shut down. Hmm. I did get to travel some while I was over there, though. Well, yeah. it's funny because she kept saying, like, it's not bad there because it's pretty bad here. We're like, what? There's no pain. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then two months later, you guys got it all. Yeah. It was very quick. Like, I feel like that sort of, I remember we were, you know, a lot of people uh, were planning vacations and stuff. And, yeah. and we were like, one person was supposed to go to China. Mm. Um, another person was like supposed to go to Italy. Mm. And then like, you yeah, know, no. successively, all these trips kept getting canceled. I was and- in Tokyo when everything started to like, go haywire in Asia. And so I had to run around Tokyo trying to find masks to wear on the plane back to Korea. 
and hoping that I would be allowed back in my school. And I had to hide the fact that I had traveled to Tokyo. And this is a place also where, like, typically buying masks is not hard. It's not hard at all. They were all just all sold out. Yeah, yeah. And so I started to hoard masks because at school, I still had to go in at school every day. And then Korea had the government-issued masks, so the government would give you two masks a week. Oh, wow. And you'd go to the pharmacy with your ID and get them. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Very you'd still be there. there if it wasn't for the pandemic. Correct. Yeah. I would still be yeah. over there. But it was just really depressing over there by myself in a pandemic. Yeah. It was re- It was a weird time, guys. <laughs> weird time. <laughs> it was a duck And also my apartment the was the size of this table. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, like, it was a weird time. But I love Korea. I'm going back in October for a couple weeks to visit some friends and just go back. And then you... um. You have opened us up to a whole world of Korean So, films. yeah. Yes, so, I really liked really Korean cool, films before I moved to Korea. And um, I chose Korea because it's very safe for women to be alone in. Mm. And then, also, they pay really well uh, compared to other countries that you can go to with the exchange rate. So, mm. I could make a lot of money and feel safe as a female. Because you can make more money in the Middle East, but it's very dangerous for women to live yeah. there. So, um, I started to learn Korean and watch Korean movies. And then I started to make them watch Korean movies. They were very resistant to it. <laughs> But I told them to watch this one movie. Oh, um, okay, well, it was it was, it was so a, the tearjerker movies, and they were both like, oh, "Okay, actually, it's Korean. We have to read it, so it's not uh, going to be." I'm good. fine with reading. It's did a did, we, watch, did like we watch reading. that one first, or did we? Do that was the, the first one. That was the first one. That was the first one. Okay. Yeah, and I told I them to watch it because so Korean away. movies have a very so what similar was it? What was thing. The movie? It's called um, I can I can speak. Okay. Oh, I can dude, speak. It's awesome. I've it's never seen it. So it's good. Watching. It, so it's really good. there's always, there's a normal thing in Korean movies. You go like halfway through the movie and you think it's about one thing and then something happens yeah, and it's about something else. Mm. And so. Well, and the first like, half is always almost silly. silly. Yeah, like I was like dual genre movies. Like yeah. they switch yeah. halfway through. And because I was watching this, I was like, I guess this is fine. It's kind of silly. And then, silly. then the thing happens. And then something happens. You're like, whoa, this is not what I. And then you just like deep cry. Yeah. Deep, deep cry. Yeah. Um, but it's very good. Please watch it. I can okay. speak. Uh, no, another I, good one good. that we watched was Burning. Um, Burning what's his really name? Good. Glenn from The Walking Dead. Stephen Yen. Yes. Yen? He's, yep. He stars in this one Burning that I thought was really, it was like a kind of a horror mystery. Yeah, but it's suspense. very and good. And that was the same thing. thing. It kind of, it was a little one thing drama. Went, and then in the, the last half, dark. you're like, oh right, my yeah. gosh, it got dark yeah. quick. Yeah. So we got very into Korean film because while I was over there, I started to see some Korean films coming out and then getting more immersed in that. And then watching movies still in the theater when they couldn't. Like, yeah. I could still go to the theater in Korea and watch Korean films with English subtitles in, like, yeah. certain theaters and certain movies. But I would try to tell them, like, oh, guys, I saw this movie in the theater. And they're like, well, we can't go to the theater. <laughs> uh, but you saw, um, what was the one? I saw with- Star Wars in 4D. That oh, was pretty awesome. sweet. What is, well, that, what's that the four D part? Like, like the the wind, like yeah, will actually wind, kick up in the theater, oh, gotcha. and then like it'll shoot water at you. And yeah. what kind of water are they shooting at you from Star Wars? We need a trash Was compactor. This, or something? Well, they were in um, that uh, water planet. Remember when? Oh, so you're watching like Rise yeah. of Skywalker. Uh, oh, gotcha. Yeah, oh. yeah. I watched I watched that in four D in Brazil. Oh. Interesting. So weirdly, we both watched 4D yeah. Rise of Skywalker yeah. in different countries. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, like yeah. What do you think? I thought they could have done more with it. 
So the the theater I'm that I went to, I'm assuming I had the same presentation. I don't. I'm know. assuming. <laughs> I felt I like there were it, there so. were more opportunities for 4D experiences in it. Like they didn't move as much as I was hoping. Yeah. And I thought that they could have done more flashes and like there were other experiences. Yeah, outside of wind in and it. water, what else are well, they the doing? Well, the smell. So you know when that weird snake the thing smells. You know the have snake thing comes out. No, I don't think I did not get any smells. Oh, so I, we got smells. So like when I the, don't think we had smells or water. How do they go in the when they go in the gas of smell at you oh my yeah gosh. they have smellitizers like at uh, theme parks yeah. yes what? yes yeah and when that one snake thing like opened its mouth you could smell its breath Ew, it was, was it gross yeah i wonder what they use like rotten eggs or something probably anyway <laughs> i just felt like there was a more <laughs> opportunity for 4d experiences because i've gone to like disney and like all those places and yeah. theirs are so good and yeah. i was like they're a disney movie they can do this right this theater has the capability and then i also saw it in um 180 so like the, oh, the okay. screens that are like 180, like halfway oh, around curved. you, they're super cool. I loved doing the movie experience. They also have one theater that it feels like you're outside. So you sit on like a beanbag chair and has fake grass and they inject smells into it that is um, like outdoor summer smells. Okay. And they have a sky that's the stars what? over top of you. Like Harry oh, Potter. I love this. Yeah. Wow. I adore fake outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's super fun. Korea has so many fun things Potter, to experience Hogwarts. like that. Um, and then you saw, um, what was the movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and Daniel Craig, the like mystery suspense one? Like the whodunit murder film? Oh, Knives Out. Knives Out. You saw Knives Out and like oh Daniel Craig, you know, yes. has this bombastic foghorn leghorn oh, yeah. voice but she's like people in korea they didn't think that was funny they, they just thought that's yeah, how america it's talk. really right. interesting yeah. it's really yeah. interesting the to see how yeah. the, the you're like the i'm the laughing jokes. but no one else is laughing yeah the jokes hit different over there yeah. but then the korean jokes like i can speak korean i'd say like a three four five year old right. so like i can understand a lot of things but not like cultural subtleties yeah. like our humor is a lot and so when I'd be watching a movie in Korean, I'd be reading and something would happen on the screen. They'd be like, oh, just like the toad. And they'll all laugh. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why is the toad funny? And then yeah. I'll ask my Korean friends. I'm like, oh, well, the toad here means this stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's no, very interesting. Com- comedy is really hard to translate. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, my, my husband is Brazilian. Yeah. And so like we like that's a big thing is like. I can't almost ever be like, oh, let's watch a comedy. Yeah. Because he's just not interested because I don't yeah. think they're funny. Like, he doesn't find American comedies funny because yeah. the cultural stuff, even though he's been here for so many years, it's like, I think there's like a lot of comedy hinges on the fact that you will understand something has two meanings immediately. Yes. Like you will simultaneously get that this means two things all at once. Yes. And if that takes more than like a second second to understand, it's not funny anymore. So like, even if you can kind of figure it out, it takes like that processing time that it takes to do in a second language, I think is like, yeah. Then I will say, I feel super smart when I figure it out. (laughs) Even if it takes me like 30 minutes to figure it out, I'm like, no, I get it now. I but, get it now. Yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is fine. I didn't laugh, but I get it, and I feel yeah, smarter for it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you do understand the, the yeah. like the whole like the duality of it, mm-hmm. it's super. It, it fun. is fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, then also, and I'm watching them thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people live like that. Which I don't think anyone in Korea is. Th- they're like, oh yeah, that's how people live. Like, oh, in the the in um, I can speak. In, in, no, no, in, in Parasite. Parasite, when they yes. live in the basement, oh, yes. the yeah, basement yeah. apartments, that's a very real thing in Korea. And yeah. they were like, oh, no one lives like this. And we're like, oh, they do in Seoul. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Or the, um, I was thinking of, uh, when you're saying that, like, and I can speak, like, there's a joke, I guess, about people peeing on buildings. 
And oh, the whole time yeah. I was like, this, what's the deal? I thought, like, that's horrible. Why are people? But I guess I was reading something like, oh, that's a funny joke because people pee. Yeah, buildings. people pee on Randomly, buildings. Yeah. Just, what oh, I mean, Drug, that, yeah. I live downtown. That's that's, <laughs> that's just as applicable in Cincinnati as it is. I would agree. Like, oh, you don't, you don't yeah, have to go to building. Korea to find people but being on building. But it is funny. It is like, funny when we watch the Korean movies that I will just naturally pick up, even without reading it, like, I will know the cultural whatever is happening. Um, and I'm like, oh, guys, this is so, you guys probably didn't pick up on this, but this is what they're doing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's what that all means. And that then makes it sense. helps them understand the movie better. Yeah. But I'm by no means a cultural expert of Korea. I just know my experiences over there yeah yeah no just even like any sort of time spent i think in another culture you do start to absorb those things and kind of go like oh yeah yeah so anyway that's probably the longest you've ever talked on any of our podcasts any podcast in general (laughs) usually we have ashley for the first 20 minutes and then she starts to i get sleepy halfway through the movie (laughs) the movie uh review And they can always tell because I get really quiet and I start to doze off a little bit. What do you think? And she's like, yeah, that was good. Really? That didn't sound good, but sure. (laughs) Well, it's because it's also mostly horror movies that I haven't picked. It's a lot of movies that I don't really have any kind of investment in. Yeah, I don't like it when we don't... When all of us think the movie's just okay, we don't have anything to say. We're like, yeah. yeah, That is the worst when you're just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, you would rather hate it than Sometimes I want to pick movies that I know that we'll hate so we can just pick it apart and actually have something to talk about. It's usually we are pretty similar what we like, and he's always opposite. Yeah. Like our our newest episode. Yeah, you hated it. I I hated it. I didn't hate it. Both of them were like, yeah, it was was pretty good. But you dug deeper into it and where there's parts of it. I'm like, oh, I didn't see this part of the film. The problem with, yeah, the problem with old is that it's advertised as a horror film. It just should. Just like like a couple of other movies. It's not. It's not anywhere close. Sometimes we'll get movies from studios and they'll be like, well, this is categorized as this and this. So we'll view it through that lens. And then so we reviewed a movie promising a woman and we were told it was a horror no a comedy a horror comedy a horror comedy, a horror yeah. comedy. and is, we reviewed it, it negatively because we we're like this isn't a horror and this isn't funny I was like, this why is, is this serious why like, are why you is... talking about this yeah. and so we got a lot of hate for it and we were like you guys don't understand we were given this movie before it was released we were given it with these titles and to review it in this lens and yeah. that's why we did this but people were saying that we we're like <laughs> apologists and like <laughs> we're, we're terrible really people mad. and we were like do we take the episode down? No, I don't think we should take it. Like we didn't yeah. do anything wrong. We no, were we, just we... told to view it through a certain lens. And then they changed the lens mm. of what the movie was when they released it. What's the, what, what, what is the sort of genre they're putting it under? Drama. Oh. It's like a which drama. It's like a sense. thriller drama now. Yeah. 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 Which makes more sense than a yeah. horror comedy. Although after the movie had its initial culture shock, most of the critics and a lot of like just general people who watched the film kind of agreed with us more that yeah. and it didn't win anything. It was nominated for everything. Yeah. It didn't win because I think was, it's a I good start was, to that kind of genre of movie. Yeah. But I feel like there were some points that they could have driven the home story they were way. trying to tell. I just don't think they did a good job yeah. of telling it. I anyway, think they could have done so sometimes we get movies from studios that are like that where we we review them in a different lens than what the actual the rest of the audience will view them as because based on what the studio tells us. I love thinking about people's tastes. Like I think taste is such an interesting idea, and and you know it sounds like you guys have pretty different tastes so i'm kind of wondering like if you had to categorize your tastes on like a spectrum of extremes what are two polar opposites of things that you love that are like sort of um why like what are the polar extremes of your tastes and mine has changed a lot like i would have if you asked me this question even five years ago i would have had a completely different answer than i have now but my right now 
it, my only really categorization for whether I like a film or not is if it makes me, I want to think about it the next day. Mm. If I think about it the next day, yeah. regardless of what it is, then I'll, I'll like it. Like I just, I want to be, I, cause I just like new things. I'm just tired of, cause for a while I would have said like a long time ago, like, Oh, sci-fi and superhero films are great. But now I'm like, yeah, we've had a lot of those and it's great, but I just want, I want to think. And so I guess my polar opposites would be, um, but then at the same time, I love F9. Like, you don't yeah. think about that, yeah. but it was really fun. I guess, uh, so experimentation, I guess, is what I would say. I like things that experiment with things. But, like, name it. You, I, I'm saying, like, what are the actual, like, pick two movies. Pick two like, movies. Oh, oh, two movies. Yeah, like, actually Ooh. pick two movies. That would be your, your point. I would say probably for me it would be either Step Brothers or Team America. Okay. It's my, like, low end. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, oh, no, I thought you, like, loved Step Brothers. I do. No. These are things no, like all polar opposites that you oh, love. That I love. That love. Gotcha. So it's not, not love and hate. Right. But love exactly. And love. Just okay. I love and love, but like sort of like it, that's like cheap bad humor is like Step Brothers and Team America especially. And then I love the pianist, and I love um, like I can speak as a very deep, deep mm. movie. So like I love those movies that make me like feel something because I'm like Brad. I do like to feel things. And then I like right. really cheap humor. Cheap yeah. cultural humor that draws from things in, in, that are happening in society. So, like, Bo Burnham's Inside, cheap humor, but I love it. Oh, I did not like that. Oh, my God, I loved it. I sing his songs. Constantly. All right, I have mine then. <laughs> okay. Mine would be Point Break, movies like that. I love the old action films, and I love Keanu Reeves, and I love Patrick Swayze, but I love Point Break. I love okay. that movie, and it's a nothing, stupid, whatever. And then, But I love to cry. Yeah. So Hotel Rwanda would be like one of my biggest sobs I've ever had where I just openly like wept out loud and yeah. made a noise. Um, so those would be my two. I love to I, weep. I think that's why you and I probably like the same kind of movies because yeah. we have the same kind of weird spectrum. Of, yeah. Like we like to cry and we like to feel things. But we also love like. Yeah. I just love like senseless. Point break like, and- yeah. Point break. I'm going to throw a dog at you. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway. And I'm, I'm way opposite of them. Like. My my go to I love Cage. I love Resident B movies Evil. and it, it's like so bad it's good type like yeah. B horror movies and stuff like that. So you know Resident Evil. I'd rather mow my lawn than watch that movie. <laughs> Color out of space. Oh gosh, oh, um, God, that's the like, worst. Like movie. those those are, are my my genre. Like my one choices, Brad. My one for you, this year. No. Yeah, my one for this year is Psycho Gorman. It's my favorite movie of the year thus far. But then that polar opposite end would be Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut, I think is the perfect movie. I think beginning to end, they're, they're, it's my all-time favorite movie. Yeah. Or like Gladiator, Braveheart. Like I like historical epics okay. uh, on the opposite end. Uh, you've gotten Brad's influenced me in two ways. A, you've got me way into director's cuts. Before Brad, I would have never watched a director's cut because I'm like, no, I want to see what they decided to put into the theater. <laughs> But then I realized what I wanted was the exact opposite. No, I want to see what the director wanted. I don't yes. care what they put in the theater. But like, yeah. so because I think I've seen so many director's cuts since I've met you. And I every time I'm like, yep, it's I love this. And then also horror films. I would have been no, I would have been like anti-horror films before you. You got me to see a couple that I hate, like Green yeah. Inferno. Was, yeah, that one wasn't good anyway. But so. like, I have actually <laughs> fallen in love with a lot of the like, the fun ones. The fun ones. Like the freaky. happy death days. Freaky. Freaky yeah. was so good. I uh, need to watch it. I, that, that's like, that looks like a movie that was and made for me. And so fun. Like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this isn't like trying to, it's not Saw where it's like trying to gore you out. It's just like, oh, this is a fun way to think. Yeah. Of it. And that one with the games. That was like been my favorite one where they played the games. 
a hide and seek or whatever. Oh, ready or not. Ready or not. I oh, ready G- or not Jumanji. is amazing. I love it. I think ready or not is like <laughs> fantastic. Very good and yes. very surprising. And I I was absolutely delighted yes. by it. Yeah. So, I, I think once I watched that this year or last year, I decided I think I do like horror <laughs> films if this is what they're like. Yeah. For me, I like you know, they like to cry. I, I just like to be entertained. If it entertains Are me, not I'm entertained. Are you not entertained? I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. But that was good. Yeah, I, I like I like the entertainment of the movie. Sometimes if it gets too serious or too, I'm going to say it, heartfelt, I'm just like, yeah, we know. You don't like to feel. You don't like women. <laughs> Got it. You, you don't that. like to feel. Huh. Yeah, I think my, my, my extremes would be like, I'm actually sort of in a similar camp for you on one end, which I would put like, um, like a really cheesy, bad horror movie. Like um, there's this movie I love called Pieces um, from like about, I think, 81 and it's like a co-spanish american production so like all the audio is dubbed Mm. so like Mm. it has that going on and it's like kind of a weird slasher like it it feels like in some way they're trying to make a kind of an american slasher movie but then it also has like sort of that european like Mm. giallo like dario argento sort of style to it as well um and then on the other extreme end would be something like really artsy like koyana scotsi or something where there's absolutely no story Mm. it's just see we like artsy films too yeah so it's like that's like kind of my extremes Mm. like Mm. those two movies could not be more but then i think like in the middle of that like that I also really love your like artsy horror movies too from that too. So I love like Hereditary and Oh, oh Hereditary like, was good. Yeah. So those are kind of like I liked Midsommar better. Midsommar was good. I so it's weird. I've gone like up and down where initially I thought I liked Midsommar more and then now like I just think about Hereditary more. Interesting. So it's like what you're saying where that thing that like kind yeah. of comes back to you. So I don't know. I like I like them both a lot, yeah. but I do tend to just like So I saw Midsommar first. So I wonder if that influenced it because I was like, oh, Brad's like, hey, this guy did this. I was like, I'm going to go watch it. And I wanted, I loved it. I thought it was, and I love uh, Florence, Florence Pugh. Pugh. Oh, she's like, amazing. Oh, I, I love her. Love her. I, I mean, I only liked Black Widow because, because of her. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I think she's just really good. And I thought in that movie, I was like, this this woman is amazing mm-hmm. as an actress. And uh, and so, I mean, I liked Hereditary, but just something, I just, I think I wanted more of what I saw. In Midsummer, uh, uh, Midsummer is a more like focused movie right. for sure, and um, so I think it is definitely tighter in, in feeling in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I have a weird experience where I'm. I think this is how it went, which is I saw Hereditary first, um, but I saw it on a plane. Oh, I watched it on a plane, and then I watched Midsummer, and mm. then I went back and watched Hereditary, and that's when I realized I watched it on a plane. Yeah, and they, they cut, cut out, out, out stuff oh. from this movie. Did I don't watch a lot of movies. Do. Yeah, I, I don't watch new that. movies on planes because they do that a lot. Is it because yeah. they don't want other people to see the they screen? They don't want people to see the screen. Yeah, I wonder how many things have been cut that and I've so watched on a plane. So anything that's like particularly gory or yeah. like, and so there's like one shot in particular in Hereditary that I think everybody remembers, and it oh, was yeah. not in that movie. Because huh. when I saw it the second time, I wish I was like, I would have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's funny. So yeah, I've I've now like I I have now decided like, okay, I can't watch horror movies on planes anymore for that reason. Mm. Like because Or porn. Yeah, well oh God, Justin. Kidding, it was a joke. Generally not offered either. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> you can't say that. Okay. Uh. Well since Sui Mama. So I want to go check out the Monuments Men since we are having this uh, screening. We're going to go check out the Monuments Men 
exhibition. Okay. And uh, we'll just kind of do a quick overview and uh, get your feedback. Okay. Cool beans. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Hi, this is Russell again, just popping in to mention that Justin had to leave before we were able to record in the gallery, which is why you won't hear him. We are in now the special exhibition, Paintings, Politics, and the Monuments Men, uh, the Berlin Masterpieces in America, which is a real mouthful of a title. That is a lot. I I have never absolutely gotten that title correct. I think uh, that's why I wanted to stand here to read it, because when we talk about it, I just say Monuments Men. I never never say the full title because I will never remember it. Uh, But that's just the nature of museum titles. (laughs) They tend to be so long. So I was going to ask you what um, you all already know about it but you did reveal to me that you have this is not your first time here right correct yeah we we came to the the media opening okay before it opened to the public cool cool so you got a little sneak peek about it yeah yeah and so um yeah it's kind of an interesting show for us because it is about oh I forgot to mention also, we are in the museum while we are open. So uh, you're going to probably hear voices of other visitors and things like that. So uh, apologize for that. Um, to the ambiance. Yeah, exactly. It's like what it's like being it's here. It's like ASMR. Exactly. And then we're going to like tap on a Coke can later yes. for you too. Hello, my friend. And like, we're going to do this whole thing like this in a really breathy way. Just whispering. We're just going to be talking about uh, this. Uh, this the, the exhibition is kind of broken up into different sections. Um, we're kind of right now looking at a part that is sort of about, uh, it's called Art and Injustice Under Nazi Rule. And it's kind of one of my favorite parts because it talks a little bit about the degenerate art exhibition that happened. Did you guys know about that? No. So actually, this is one thing that Justin and I really loved about this exhibition is that we learned about the what, what deplorable? Degenerate. Degenerate. The degenerate art. Yes. And how interesting that was because out of all of the art here, I would say probably that these are the most interesting pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I liked the most. So I thought that was interesting that it was the uh, degenerate art. The only thing I remember is this one. The, uh, the Katie Kolvitz. Yes. The face in the corner. Like immediately when I turned the corner, like seeing that the frightened child face in the corner. Because yeah. that's where they, you could tell they spent the most detail on this this piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I mean, she's she's known for these sort of really kind of upsetting images, um, like really desperate feeling images. A lot of times of like children and mothers and, um, you know, she was making stuff in the First World War, too, and, and, and lived through that, too. So she's kind of uh, familiar with making these, like, images of war um, and sort of showing war-ravaged people. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it's, it's one of the things that, you know, is important to note is, like, the Nazis loved art. Yeah. Like, the, the idea that, like, Nazis hated art is, like... Did they just not, love really, really pristine, beautiful art? And yeah. And less it, gritty, kind of... Yeah, it was, like, so So kind of what we have is, on one side, are sort of examples of maybe some of the things they valued or or things they were trading. Very like, Aryan-looking child. Yeah, although, actually, I think the, the reason this grumpy, painting... We're, grumpy, we're looking at this pieces. Madonna and Child, Fra Filippo Lippi. I believe this one is actually in here because it's sort of a painting that was actually traded um, from Germany because um, they were valuing German art and uh, Germanic art. And so like things that were Italian and French were less valued. Less valuable. Yeah, to that, them. 
So yeah, no, this this painting was in um, a German museum until 1937 when it was traded. That's so that's interesting that they would trade it because it looks very much like it would be something that they would like. I would think. I think so too. I agree. I mean, if you look at the the a lot of the artwork that's part of the Berlin 202. I mean, it feels at home in there. You also, know? when I was looking at the the large grouping of the Berlin 202 that's on the wall, um, there are so many that I recognize that are very, like the Venus one. Yeah, let's, let's come over the, here. And the one that's at the very top with Mary and um, baby Jesus up there. Yeah, so the Venus, the Venus one you're seeing, it's 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 the same figure from the Botticelli Birth of Venus. Mm. So you're probably used to seeing that figure more in a big clamshell. These are what we're looking at is this wall of, of of reproductions of all of the paintings that were in the Berlin 202. So the Monuments Men were a section of the U.S. Army who were formed uh, to protect artworks and uh, monuments in Germany during World War II. They recovered a large number of artworks in a salt mine. Um, these were not necessarily things that were looted by the Nazis, but just things from German museums, uh, things that were legit property of Germany. And then their job was to protect them and, and keep them in good condition. Uh, but the decision was made to send 202 of these artworks uh, to America uh, for an exhibition in DC, and then later as a tour around the country. So those works are the Berlin 202. Yeah. I can, I just, I know that, and maybe this is a bad thing, my grandma had a reproduction of that one, and she had, I think, this one as well in her house. Oh, really? Very Catholic which, woman. Which one, uh, when you pointed up top, which one the was it? The fifth one over. It's kind of like the curved oh, top. Oh, okay, yeah. It's like sort of, uh, yeah, the sort that was of Madonna on my and child. Yeah, my grandma like a, had that on her wall, and she had this one too, because I remember I used to look at the little yeah. boxes all the time. Yeah. There's a lot of religious art in here. I yes. mean, if that's like actually probably the most common subject you'll see is sort of Christian art. Like um, there is a lot of, you know, mother with child or Madonna or Mary or whatever mm -hmm. they title it. Yeah. Like even throughout the pieces here and in the 202. And then yeah. we have the good old derpy section down here. The good old derpy section. What's the derpy section? <laughs> the derpy section begins here. Oh, these and sort of Dutch paintings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I call it the derpy section. I'm not an artist, though, so <laughs> please excuse my. my They're French. kind of like uh, those are the ones that partied and had a few drinks yeah. before yeah. before a hand. There is something interesting that is something that comes up in the exhibition is that they did like most of the paintings um, were German or Dutch. Like there was sort of a, a this like adoption of like well yeah and dutch things like like i guess it was sort of seen as a part of the same culture mm. um in a way that maybe french and italian works were not but there were french and italian works as well so they were not um completely banished it just wasn't maybe valued quite as much I gotcha. as, as so there there definitely are plenty of italian things in here like the botticelli and uh and we have some examples of that around the corner um and kind of before we go into it we can look at this stuff too, um, because this is interesting. So we have also this little section um, about Walter Ng's farmer, um, who was one of the monuments men and is also local. Um, yeah. So I think this is kind of an interesting section because what we're seeing here are works that Walter donated to the museum. Through his lifetime, he became a big art collector um, and then later donated a lot of work to the museum. So these are some important pieces from our collection. Um, and we're also, I think, trying to show the variety of work he, he collected because there's like, you know, 
refined. Very abstract, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's incredibly modern paintings and then, you know, very classic, you know, sort of academic paintings and drawings as well. So there's yeah. like a real a real mix here of, of his interests, which I think is really interesting. He was actually, I didn't oh, realize that he was from Cincinnati, to yeah. be honest. And then second of all, I couldn't, it took me a minute to figure out that he actually, he was one of the Monuments Men, correct? Yeah, yeah, he was. Now, is he in the film? The he is then? not. Um, and Cincinnati shafted once again. Yeah. Well, actually, all of <laughs> all of the characters in the movie are sort of like fake fictional versions of real people. Ah, that makes sense. So none of them are actually the real people. So they all have some of their names are like kind of close. Um, but he is not. I don't think anyone is really like a good parallel for him in the okay, movie. Okay. There were also like two different waves of monuments men too. So oh. there was sort of like that initial uh, wave who goes in and and uh, re- recovers these works, um, which is more what the movie is showing. And Walter was a part of a later group. Okay, who goes in. That's probably where yeah. the disconnect was in my brain of the timelines of it. Yeah. So there's there's kind of these two different waves. Um, where it's sort of after the works are um, recovered and they're more sort of like figuring out what to do with them so and how to care for them. he was more of an them. advocate of keeping them stationary in Germany, he correct? He was, yes, he was. So eventually these uh, paintings toured uh, the U.S. and they came over and he did not want that to happen. Yeah. So he was more of a, like of the belief that they should stay in Germany and that you stay know, where they they should be. Basically. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and like not be touring around the U.S. Um, and I think you know, in a, in a lot of instances, these are paintings that were stolen from Jewish um, collectors and institutions and other by the Nazis. And then I think you know, there's this perception of then like the U.S. just doing the same thing essentially by yeah. taking them and take making a roadshow. Yeah, out it's of a little it. hypocritical, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, so I think that was also, you know, generally... They just wanted to take them on a tour around the U.S. too, be like, show off what they got? Yeah, they did take them back. Like, they did yeah. not, yeah. But I think also people who are, are interested in the preservation of these works, like, anytime you're moving these things around, popping them on trains, it's mm-hmm. probably... You're putting the work you're, at more risk. Yeah, you're you're putting yeah. them in danger of getting yeah. ruined or damaged. And shipping them internationally. In that time period. That I time feel like period. now it'd probably be less I'm sure aggressive. It's a lot safer but to do that now. Yeah. Then yeah. on a train, no air conditioning or temperature control. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure as a as a person who is concerned with conserving artworks, I'm sure that was first and foremost on his mind. So but yeah, I think it's an interesting thing and and an interesting connection from Cincinnati to the story that probably a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, I mean, we didn't realize, I don't think. Yeah. No, I didn't know at all until we came to the exhibit. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, so the way the exhibit is organized, we're kind of looking at that part about degenerate art and then the Walter Farmer part. And then we have some pieces from the Berlin 202, um, plus some other pieces from the museum collection that, um, sort of relate to this works or are artists that were also in um, in that group of paintings. Um, and the ones that were actually in the 202, I kind of like the way they've done this, are, are sort of pulled out on yeah. the wall. So yeah. you can kind of quickly tell there's something special about them yeah. um, without making the distinction like kind of too obnoxious. I'm obsessed with this one. Really? It's so, so peaceful. So uh, let's get the title right so we know what we're talking about. So this is called Panorama of Holland by Philips Koning. I, yeah, sorry. Uh, again, bad pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it is a very, it's like the serene landscape. Yeah. 
I'm very much a, I like art that's very serene mm-hmm. and very calming. And I love landscapes in real life. Like I love to like hike and then look out over. And so this takes me to that. And I think it's just beautiful. It's very, I've been thinking about it since I came and saw it. It's very large too. Yes. Like I, I think it's, it's probably the largest painting in this room. So it's pr- definitely kind of grabs your attention. Yeah, it sticks out. You like the happy little trees is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good old Bob Ross. I do fall asleep to him all the time. And I love the little details, like the little dude in the, in the window here, uh-huh. and then the animals, and then as you get back, they're still there, but they're just a little fuzzier. It's like you can see there's a windmill there, and there's a yeah. little house right there. That's coming from a non-artist. I like that. There's some, oh, I, I, oh, go ahead. Coming from an artist, one of my favorite things to paintings is try to get as close as you can. Obviously, you can't get super close, but seeing the work that they put into it to get these details of like, like the highlights on, you know, the, the cows and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. how detailed and, and monotonous this must have been, <laughs> especially for the size that it is. Yeah, yeah. And probably working with very teeny tiny brushes for those little details yes. you're saying with like, you know, single hairs and things to yeah. kind of put those little highlights and stuff on there. I like the way this painting sort of almost, if you do look at this just sort of top part of the portion, it becomes very abstract. Like yeah. just these sort of stripes of of these kind of different uh, streams and fields and they yeah. just kind of turn into different stripes. topography the... of like the land and how tall it is and stuff it is. Yeah, and it, it is interesting how like um, when you talk about the sereneness, it's it's like almost zen to me. Yeah. Like the way it, it just becomes this like field of like vibrating lines or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting in that yeah. way. And the way that it's aged, I looked at this and I was like, is that a cell phone tower? <laughs> it's not it's just probably some little cracks and stuff yeah. uh, forming in the paint over the years yeah, yeah and that's also my 21st century brain expecting to see <laughs> a cell phone, cell phone tower, tower in the landscape definitely not uh in w- circa 1655 <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't yeah. even build anything that tall yet <laughs> no and what always gets me with old paintings is they use a lot of oils and i've painted with oils mm-hmm. and it amazes me how detailed they can get with oils because oil is not forgiving because it takes so long to dry. And so, yeah, yeah. It's a different smudged easily. Yeah. It's a different process. Definitely where you're, you're kind of, you, you have to sort of get that, let, let give it that drying time before you go back in and work on top of it or, um, give it at least enough drying time to sort of cure uh, on the top layer. Which with an oil is a long time. It is a long time, time definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's certainly when we're, we're blessed to have acrylics now that you can just sort of like throw the hairdryer on it yeah. and be ready in a few seconds <laughs> if you want to kind of layer on top of that without uh, blending in. Was there any other paintings that stuck, stood out to you in this sort of section of the 202? Um, as far as part of the 202 or just, or just in general in, yeah and just in this in this general section i really like the woman's hair on the, the ideal portrait of a lady yeah <laughs> it's this is, ideal hair yeah. ideal hair yeah it's the botticelli painting this is definitely one of the highlights i think of the exhibition that's like ooh, this is this is exciting to have here uh yeah i mean it's very detailed yeah, well, her hair, like you're saying, it's just, you know... It's so detailed. Like, you can see every strand. Yeah. She has really thick, coarse hair, which is like hair goals. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, sort of intricate braiding, and it's kind of like crossing through itself in interesting ways, and this like big wave that's sort of swooping through and kind of caught up in and the her braid. her eyeshadow looks great. I mean, like, she just, <laughs> she has it all. I know, and... 
1475. It probably wasn't eyeshadow, but... Uh, again, I am not an expert in this, but, you know, makeup's <laughs> been around since ancient Egypt, yeah, I mean, so... Maybe, yeah, maybe it was eyeshadow. So there's probably, you know, there might be some sort of... I don't, I don't know the... Uh, I barely know about makeup today, so I should not probably be talking about Renaissance makeup, but, yeah, you know. It, it looks very color-penciled. Hmm, yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? Because this is a tempera painting, so it's tempera on panel. And there is something about tempera. Well, tempera is made, it's a, a pigment, it's mixing pigment with egg yolk. Oh. Instead of, like, um, so it's an older process than, like, oils. Um, It'll dry much faster, for sure. And so, um, and it does tend to, like, a lot of times with temper paintings, there is sort of like you can almost feel the little like brush strokes that make it up. I don't know. I don't. I've never worked with tempera, so I couldn't really talk oh, about what it's like. That. But it does tend to have that look that you're describing that feels mm-hmm. a little colored pencil. Color pencil, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, they got that hair then. Yeah, but it is a different look, um, and it is maybe a little more. It feels a little more precise. A lot and of times, and it's actually oils. gold. It's not yellow. It's actually gold, like metallic-y. Yeah, there is sort of gold. Uh, mm. I think you're right. Because I was looking and it doesn't say there's any like gold leafing in it or anything. That's a really good question. I'm really intrigued by that because it does feel like that. And I, I can't quite tell if it's just they're just sort of masterful use of light to sort of replicate that feeling or if it actually is. I'm not sure. That is a good question. Hmm. What's your favorite? My favorite is probably... This, that one. So if I'm being honest, I would say that is the that Botticelli painting probably is mine. Okay. Um, it's hard for me to say because a lot of these paintings are paintings that I see every day. So that's probably also built in as like these, the ones that are pulled off the walls are, are the exciting new loans and things. So those definitely speak to me like, more. The one that I love is the, the one over here with the, with the ship mm. and the people on the, on the beach. Yeah, because the, the the detail in it. I remember it the first time when we came to see the exhibit originally. Just the details put into like the faces of those people, as small as it is, just amazed me. Yeah, this is another one. This is one from the uh, the museum collection. So this is a French painting. So we we're talking about how you know most of the works were sort of German or Dutch, but this mm-hmm. is one of this is a French painting to sort of set the stage of like there were french paintings like this (laughs) and french landscapes like this yeah this painting is called an artist studying uh from nature by claude lorraine and uh yeah there is a lot of a lot of detail especially when i'm in this foreground here where you have the the titular artist (laughs) studying Uh, like i've never really paid that much attention to the ground around him like all this like just the detail put into it is just amazing I really love that on top of the castle they have a green roof. <laughs> yeah, well, it, they need a green space. It also, yeah, definitely, it's this feeling of like this is an older building. So even here, it's like this is 1639, but this is probably an older castle. It's already kind of overgrown, and you can you kind of see this like there's cracks in the surfaces. So there's like this is we're starting to like idealize ruins. Um, it's it's kind of a part of that, that that whole thing going on too. So yeah, here at the end of the exhibit, uh, we have uh, sort of more reproductions of the Berlin 202. So they're just sort of examples. I don't believe these are to scale. Um, that was like my first question when I saw them. And the more I've looked at them, the more I'm like, mm, no, certain ones I know would be larger. I would think like some of them seem like they might be wall size especially this one right here seems like it could be yeah. painted on a wall yeah 
I, I kind of was like, I, I read the label because that was my first question. I'm like, are these to scale? And then like this one here, I would imagine is definitely much larger, pretty yeah. much larger. Um, if not, like I'm sure those people aren't life size, but I would expect it to yeah. to be a bit bigger than that. Um, this looks like a picture, like a photograph. Oh yeah, I know, it's amazing. Yeah, this is a Hans Holbein uh, painting called Portrait of Greg uh, or Georg Gize. I was gonna say Greg. <laughs> Especially the, the even names today. Greg, <laughs> this is going to be Greg to me now. Yeah, the way he paints the fabrics. I yes, think the fabric on his sleeves. It's a good trick to have up your sleeve. Oh. <laughs> ah. To be able to paint really nice silky satin like that. The the one that stuck out immediately when I came out is the one over here. If anyone who has ever used Adobe Illustrator or Adobe products <laughs> would know this image. Well, this is what you were pointing out b- yeah. before. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the this Venus. face. Yeah, the, she's the Venus. That's also from Birth of Venus. Yeah, that's the one I would point out in the beginning. Yeah, Brad. way to pay attention. I couldn't see it. <laughs> Old eyes, I couldn't see up at the top. Well, and, and this is yeah. So this is probably Botticelli's most famous image. Is the this Venus um, probably more famous in her clamshell home uh, <laughs> in the full 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 painting uh, like I said I'm guessing this is probably a study for that it could be after um, it does say um, workshop of Sandro yeah Botticelli. formally attributed to well this is this is something that like a lot of people don't realize though is like a lot of these artists did not work alone they had a full workshop of people who were apprentices and people studying under them who helped with the paintings and so then it becomes this tricky issue of like what is attributed to the artist and what is attributed to the workshop. Whose name do we slap on this one? Yeah, exactly. In fact, our Botticelli um, that's in the permanent collection was, when we bought it, not a Botticelli. Oh. After some conservation work, we actually kind of bought it on a tip that like, oh, I think this might be a Botticelli. Oh. And we had some conservation work done on it. And uh, then we declared it a Botticelli. Oh. And Italy said, no, it is not. Oh, no. Because Italy was furious that a Botticelli would escape their country. <gasps> and so there's like all these old newspaper articles about like this like feud between us and That's Italy. That's amazing. Like that they were like, it's not real. It's not a Botticelli. It's not real. It's it basically like refusing it because they didn't want to have lost it. Um, and so... It's, it was forever seen as like, it was originally seen as a, um, like a student studying from the master because there's another painting of the same scene in the Uffizi gallery. Um, and actually one of the things I love about why we think it's, um, it is real is that most people say, well, it's worse, um, in terms of like composition and like the composition in ours is like clunkier than the composition in the Uffizi, which if you were making a copy of it, you wouldn't mess it up, you know? Like, so yeah. that makes it us think, oh, this was the first draft yeah. for the larger one where the the later corrections were made yeah. to, like, help the composition. Wow. That's so, some tea, man. Yeah. I know. So it's, I mean, that's what's so interesting is, like, a lot of the things that we think about art and, like, who painted what is sort of ultimately somebody's opinion. Yeah. And and at this point, it is sort of the dominant opinion of like, yeah, at this point, most people and most experts have come around and said, yeah, it's a Botticelli. But it's still an opinion. Yeah. And there's like lots of those out wow. there that's like, yeah, this could be them. It could be a student. But, you that's know. That's cool. It kind of relates back to this whole 
exhibition because this is an exhibition essentially about provenance, about where paintings come from and where, like the story of like paintings like going to a salt mine and coming out and yeah. then going on tour. Um, and it's really fascinating because that, that is like a whole story that isn't usually told mm. um, when you go to a museum. Like you don't usually see that history occasionally it's there occasionally there's some interesting story about it but it can be really fascinating i remember doing research on the our botticelli and there were just holes in the in the provenance like mm. we just there's big chunks of time we just don't know where it was mm. which to me is fascinating yeah. it's like a mystery like yeah. where was this painting where were you <laughs> wow um so i don't know it's like it's just like an aspect of art that doesn't get thought about a lot i yeah. guess yeah I mean, it's a great exhibit. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, they definitely should come down and check it out. Yeah. Especially for the history behind it. And yeah, and they can learn a little bit more at the, you know, about the at least Hollywood version of the yeah, story. Yeah, the Hollywoodized. <laughs> Hollywoodized story, which is definitely Hollywoodized um, at uh, the screening at the Esquire. Uh, what day is that again? It is August 28th at 7.30. And I'll be there. We're going to do a little post. Uh, yep. We're going to do it afterwards, right? Yep, a little, a little post Q&A after. We'll be there to do a short intro. We'll watch the movie, and mm-hmm. then you'll come up and oh, look Q's and A's. Oh, oh no. I better, I'm <laughs> going to have to do so much more research before then. <laughs> <laughs> so we can actually uh, A those Q's. <laughs> actually A those Q's. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being my guest today. No, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. Again, that screening of The Monuments Men will be on August 28th at 7.30 at the Esquire Theater. The museum is currently open, but please visit our website for the most up-to-date information about operating hours and museum policies. Current special exhibitions are Paintings, Politics, and The Monuments Men, The Berlin Masterpieces in America. American Painting, The 80s Revisited, and Future Retrieval, Close Parallel, which is closing on August 29th. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we also have an Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. <laughs>